Blog Talk Radio. This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Sam Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast with the SoLink part of the house. And coming to you today from home base. Marietta, Georgia. This is Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, and today is Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. Just ahead, I'll be joined by this week's guest, Kathy Dino, co-founder of Painting with a Twist, as she shares how she and co-founder Renee Maloney truly have created a franchise concept that is, in fact, a work of art. But first, thanks again to last week's guest, area developer extraordinaire, J.D. Bush, J.D. was not only insightful, but a bundle of energy, and it was great having him on Franchise today. Also, before I bring Kathy on, I've got just a couple of items to share today in the Soul Link front of the house. And how timely that on the heels of J.D.'s visit here last week, I came across a write-up in QSR magazine today about the power of area development to growing brands. In this case, the article centered on Subway. Where, they're, where they call their area developers business development agents. Subway, by the way, has some 320 of them. The BDAs are referred to as providing support to the franchise owners to help them through restaurant development and market optimization, says Subway Chief Development Officer Don Furtman. In some emerging markets, there may be only a handful of restaurants, while in more developed markets, BDAs have hundreds of locations. Many Subway business development agents are themselves franchisees as well. Longtime Subway agent Marty Hogan and his daughter own and operate 20 Subway stores, but they're also responsible for managing 230 more in central Illinois. They go by many different names, but area developers can drive restaurant franchises into new territories. You know, over the years, I've seen the ups and downs of this model and how it can work successfully when unit-level economics allow for it But I've also seen the downsides, too, when AUVs are simply not strong enough to support the franchisor and a developer who would typically be splitting recurring revenue derived from franchisees at the unit level with the franchisor. I'm going to link the article up to the Franchise Today Facebook page after the show and ask you for your comments, and then we can talk more about that in the weeks ahead. Also today, I want to take this opportunity to offer my congratulations to Ned Lyerly, longtime CKE restaurant executive who last week was named CEO. CKE, of course, is the parent company of Carl's Jr. and Hardee's. Ned Lyerly succeeds Jason Marker, the the former KFC U.S. president, who stepped into the position back in early 2017. At the time, Marker replaced Andy Puzder, the company's CEO, for the prior seven years. Lyerly most recently served as president of the International Division at CKE and held a variety of senior roles over the years, including development, finance, marketing, and franchise operations. The company said he's contributed to the development of more than a third of its restaurants, including the expansion of CKE's International Division from a mere 50 units to over 1,000. My kudos to you, Ned Lyerly. Well-deserved. And that, my friends, is the Solink 
front of the house. Brought to you by Stonelink, providers of some amazing loss prevention technology for restaurants and retail. In fact, when I describe what Stonelink does for loss prevention, I liken it to what Apple and Android have done for cell phones. They've made those tools smarter. Whether you operate a single or multi-unit empire, are the franchisor or executive of a retail or restaurant brand, or if unit-level economics are on your mind, you owe it to yourself and your business to learn more about Solink. When deployed, Solink's technology captures instances of exceptional behavior at all of your sites. Solink then records everything that goes on in the front and back of the house, eliminating the need to review hours of tape to identify these exceptions. After their technology captures it all, Solink reports actually direct your attention to the specific video clips of those exceptional transactions, providing you with full visibility into every action and transaction at every site from any device, and you can do it all on demand. Solink utilizes current point-of-sale and security camera systems, so there's no new camera or hardware purchases required. As always, find out more about them online at solink.com. And now for today's guest interview. It all started when two enterprising women, Kathy Dino and Renee Maloney, wanted to do their part to rebuild their Hurricane Katrina devastated community and give people a place to relax, unwind, and get creative. Their guests love the idea so much that today Painting with a Twist has created over 11 million paintings in fun-filled studios in 39 states. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Painting with a Twist's co-founder, Kathy Dino, to Franchise Today. Kathy, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm happy to have you. I've admired you from afar, and we've never really had any direct connectivity in business that I can recall, but I know we've yeah. met up many times at conferences and had some um, inspiring conversations, so I'm yep. glad for the opportunity to do this today. Thank you. So, Kathy, we start every week's episode of Franchise Today pretty much the same way, unless you're somebody who comes from um, a generational family in franchising. Most of us don't actually study to become involved in this business model. Franchising tends to find us. It's, it's not intentional. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is rewind the tape for us and tell us what led to that for you. Well, Renee and I had met in our children's kindergarten class. Uh, we were both community volunteers. Um, she was young, much younger than me. There's 15 years difference. And I'd had my child late in life, and I needed somebody to help me raise this child. So I kind of stalked her in the kindergarten class, and we became friends, and then Katrina hit. And, of course, you know, I won't go into that. Everybody knows what happened then. But when we kind of came out of that, we were really looking for something to bring a smile to people's face, to um, get people together, to have a good time. And so uh, a friend of ours called. They knew we were looking for something to do and gave us this idea. So we thought we would open one studio in Mandeville. Mandeville's a small town north of New Orleans. And we would have uh, one studio and, you know, make a little bit of money. We still wanted to volunteer. And so we did that, and it was successful from the beginning in a small-town uh, atmosphere. And then Renee wanted one in New Orleans. She was from New Orleans. I was from Mandeville. 
So, you know, you have to, you used to have to give me a passport to get me to New Orleans. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And so she said, well, my mother will run it. And I said, okay. So her mother ran it. She did a good job. And when we got to New Orleans, we opened our studio in New Orleans. We got a lot more exposure. It was a much bigger uh, demographic going on in New Orleans, of course, than Mandeville. And people were still, it was a couple of years after Katrina, people were still coming to help their relatives uh, rebuild. And people found us as a place to let the stress go. And so we had people coming to our studios and just falling in love with it. And within two weeks, three people came up to us, one from Grapevine, Texas, one from Lafayette, Louisiana, and one that was relocating to St. Petersburg, Florida. And all three of them asked us to franchise. We, hmm. Look, we couldn't even spell franchise. I mean, we were in a hmm. small, uh, small town in South Louisiana. There weren't many. We're not the hotbed of franchising, even in New Orleans. There's just a few franchisors. But Renee had been going to eat coffee, uh, to drink coffee at uh, PJ's Coffees. It's a medium-sized coffee uh, franchise. And she said for 20 years she'd gone there, and she'd become friends with the franchisors through all, all these coffees. And so she said, let's go talk to them. It's the Ballard Brothers. And she said, let's go talk to them. And they were very helpful, very instrumental in walking us through um, what it means. They said, bring us your books, bring us what you have. And when we, we, by this time we had three. We'd also opened one in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And they looked at everything and they said, I think you can do this. And so they uh, introduced us to their lawyers. Uh, they, the FDDs, Renee and I went and locked ourselves in the studio and wrote our own manual. It was ugly as could be, but it worked. Uh, Marianne O'Connell has done our new one, which is beautiful. And, uh, and it's no just, doubt, no, no doubt. doubt. And so, um, so we just, it just, people were looking for a place to relax. Women were looking for a place to gather. Uh, that I think was the success of this business. It is a woman-driven so, business, although our first frequent painter that you get a frequent painter card and, you know, you get a free class after you paint so many paintings was a man. And so we, we do cater to both, but it is a woman-driven business. It, it's a place where women come to gather. They can have a drink in a very safe atmosphere. Um, and their husbands or boyfriends or whoever don't mind them going to a painting class, whereas they might kind of frown a little bit on going to a bar. So, uh, so it, it was something we hadn't really expected. And um, I have one story that I tell that really gives me chills every time I tell it. We have, we're having a class in our little studio, and it had a big glass front. And in, in Louisiana, our electrical lines are up high. And so, I mean, a bird sits on it, and you lose electricity. So we were having a class. The electricity went out, and we told everybody, Go ahead, go home, mark your canvas. We'll do the class again, no charge. And they, and they said, we're not leaving. And I said, but there's no electricity. And they, they drove their cars around and shined their lights through the windows so that they could paint by the light of their cars. So I was that's like, impressive. You know, that's impressive. I, I still get impressed. <laughs> I said, yeah. You know, so I turned to Renee and said, okay, there's something we don't get here. There's something we're not getting. Neither one of us are big painters, you know, so... We went and asked them, what's the deal? And they said, you don't understand. We're not thinking about the kids, the husband, the job, the storm. We're, we're concentrating on this painting, and we're having a good time, and we're not leaving. So that's Where when we that... knew there was something else going on besides a paint class. 
But where did this? Where did all this come from? I mean, your background prior to was what you're in um, my, you know, interior my degree, design and uh, decorating. Right. My degree from LSU, like over a hundred years ago, was um, interior design. So there's some creative stuff there, but I'm not a. I don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself an art patron, an art lover. Um, um, Renee was in management. Her, her father owns an orthodontic practice, and she had done that. And she had studied marketing in school. So you know, it 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 was just kismet. It was just you know, it was really driven by the passion of our painters and the fact that we did have some good mentors in the very beginning. And um, one of the things the Ballards told us is join the IFA, and that's the true story. That's not a plug. You know, they said join the IFA. We'd never even heard of the IFA, International Franchise Association. So uh, we did that, and we were the first um, friendship mentees, mentor, yeah, mentees, and they assigned us to Melanie Bergeron from Two Men in a Truck. So we just well, you don't had, get you couldn't do much better than you don't that. Get any better than that. You don't get any, and she's a friend to this day. You don't get any better than that. And that really, we had a problem. We could pick up the phone, you know, um, and and that really helped because we really neither one of us, um, neither one of us really knew what franchising was, or really, it's not just about selling your studios. It's you know, there's so much more to it. Lots of moving parts in your business, so. Like you mentioned already, the frequent artists or the, you get the loyalty card. Talk about the consumer experience. And you're telling us that it is mostly female-driven, but um, right. some enterprising smart guys like Ryan might, you know, decide this is a great place to come meet some beautiful women. Well, um, it actually is. Um, and date night is one of our biggest sellers. There you go. <laughs> we, we sell out um, Valentine's Day across the board, some people have to put multiple, uh, multiple paintings up and multiple classes because it's a great, it's a great date night. It's not your phone's put down, you're, uh, you know, you're not eating, you're doing something creative, you're sitting next to each other, and there's music going on, and you talk. It's not like a movie where you, you don't really talk. It's, uh, it's a great, it would be a great first date because you know, there's people around, and, but there's conversation going on. So, uh, so it is. It's a great place to meet people, men and women, actually. Um, you call um, Valentine's Day Galentine's Day, don't you? Well, we do that the day before. You know, that's a marketing thing because there's a lot of people out there that don't have significant others, and they do feel a little left out, you know, on Valentine's Day. And so we do classes for that group too, and that's been very you know a good friend. A good friend of mine who is the um, president of a, another franchise company, of Vocelli Pizza, Casey McEwen, uh, just self-published a book called um, Being Present. Right. And I thought, of, I thought of him when I when I heard and read about digital detox at Painting with a Twist. Talk a little bit about that because well, Casey, Casey's book is all about that. It's like be in the moment, be here. Right. And this kind of forces you to do that. And, it, you know, you have to put your phone down. You've got a paintbrush in one hand and a wine glass in the other. And so there's – you really, unless you're taking a picture, because we do encourage you to take pictures and post them on Facebook or Instagram, unless you're doing that, you're not on your phone. And people say that that really clears their mind also. I mean, there's so much backlash now about phone time and how you're missing out on your family and you're missing out on conversation. And I know in my life um, – that, that that is true. 
um, you know, uh, sometimes I'm at a stoplight and I'll pick it up and look at it. And I've been trying to stop doing that. But this kind of mm-hmm. forces you to do that. And people have found that they enjoy that. You know, they said, I went to dinner with my husband the other night and we were both on our phones the whole time. And you don't even talk when you're doing that. So, um, so this forces you to engage, forces you to put that phone down and enjoy the moment and enjoy what you're doing. And, um, and feel creative. Everybody wants to feel creative. It's kind of like karaoke, but, but nobody thinks they can. And with karaoke, with the machine, you can. And with this, with the help of an artist and pretty simple paintings, although some of them are pretty good, um, you can. You can feel creative. You can feel in the moment. You can release those endorphins from your brain that kind of get, you know, Pull down when you're when you're you know always on social media, always on a phone, always on a computer, or iPad, you know. So and the wine, of course, provides what you call I think liquid courage. Well, yeah, we call it white canvas anxiety. Um, when people <laughs> when people walk in and they see all those white canvases because we set up the canvases before the class and they see all those white canvases and I can't do this. I can't. I, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to sit and watch. And well, I'll have a drink first, and they have it, and then they think, mm, you know what? I'll give it a shot, you know. And so they do. And you can't really, you know, people worry about drinking too much at the classes, but that really does not happen because you're so busy um, painting that you know you, you might have two glasses of wine. Um, you don't really have time, or you'll or the, you'll lose the artist momentum. You have to keep up with the artist. So. Um, so you. I read that you are the largest employer of artists in the U.S. and that your artists are not just instructors, but they're really entertainers too. So take us through a moment in time. and What does it look like to to sit down in the studio and, and be entertained as well as informed and directed and guided? Well, you know, we look really for the fun. We, we want this to be fun. We want people to – we don't necessarily want people to say, look at this – or people won't say, look at this wonderful painting, because that's kind of patting themselves on the back. But people will say, I had the best time at, the, at painting with a twist the other night, and I painted. So we really want them to have fun. So we, we, when we interview for artists, it's not just um, their talent. As a matter of fact, their talent comes second to their personality, because they're up there inter- trying to ha- have people have a good time. People love to laugh. So we have a whole playbook of... Uh, not jokes, but kind of jokes, and things to do, um, you know, games to play while you're doing, while you're painting, or give them a break and they can do something. We have stand-up comedians or some artists and just, you know, just generally funny people. And what happens is you can hire artists that you really like, and maybe they're not the funniest person in the world, but you think they've got a lot of the other qualities you're looking for besides the talent. And after two or three months of watching this other person, it's kind of contagious. You know, watching the person that that's got it, that can figure out how to entertain and read their audience and all of that, and it kind of rubs off on them. Even some of our owners who who could paint, they 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 were afraid to get up on the stage, and now they're after a few months of watching, they say, "I can do that," and then they get up and um and they teach. I want to ask you to share with the audience as we as we're going to get further into the conversation, we're going to talk more about the franchise side of the business more specifically, but leading up to becoming a franchisor, I mean, you've already pointed out a couple of nuggets that I think are powerful. Join the IFA, have mentors like Melanie Bergeron, have guidance from people like the Ballard Brothers, who, by the way, 
I've known them for years too, but not through coffee. I've known them through wings. Right. Uh, with the WOW wingeries. Right. But yeah. you've had you had the good fortune to to have some guidance around you and look where you are now. I mean, you're very successful. What do you tell an emerging franchisor about how to connect those dots? And, you know, there, there are so many people out there who can guide or, you know, they can guide you for their reasons, not yours. It's just like somebody buying a franchise for the wrong reason. If a franchisor is not a responsible franchisor, they'll take a check from anyone. We hope that we don't know anybody like that, but it happens. Right. So how how do you help somebody who has a vision for franchising their business? What do you tell them about how to go about exploring that? Well, I try and, and make them look at the reality of it. We did. I mean, we were just very blessed because the reality of it is it's hard work. And that check that you're going to take, you're going to spend getting them open. That's not money in your pocket. Um, you have to have good support. You can't just sell franchises and not have the support. Um, Renee and I sold, I don't know, 24, 25 our first year. And the next year we sold, we did 12. We were like, wait a minute, we've got to put our support in, in, in line. We've got to get somebody in here who knows more about franchising than we do. So we, we were smart enough to put people smarter than us about it around us. What Renee and I's strong suit was, and I think everybody needs to look at this, is that we built, we feel we built a very, very strong, good culture within our home office, which then flows down to your franchisees and within our franchisees. And when you're putting those strong people around you, the people that know more than you, you have to make sure that they understand your culture and that they're that they're going to buy into that. Not only are they going to come in with their franchise knowledge and help you with your systems and that sort of thing, but they're going to embrace what you've already built. So I think that that that's an important aspect. I think ethics is very, very important. We always made our decisions based on the people, not on the money. And that really, um, you know, they say, you know, if you don't make it your first priority, it'll come to you. And that kind of happened with us. Um, money was never our first priority. We never expected it to grow to this size. So it was all about fun, doing something, making a little money, and, um, and just enjoying the moment, as you say. But I think that people need to not get caught up in that it's going to – it's hard work. It's hard work, and it costs money to open up a a franchise system. So um, I think those are the things. And stay true to your heart and stay true to your vision of what what you've created and and don't get sidetracked. So when you first began, you were working under a a different brand – Walk us through right. a little bit of how cork and canvas morphed into painting with a twist. When we first opened, like I said, we did not um, we did not think it would grow to this size. We really thought one studio, one and done. And then we opened up three more of our own under Corks and Canvas. Corks and Canvas is a great name; rolls right off your lips. Um, and we really liked it. And our um, our trademark attorney, when we started franchising, started doing searches. And there was another company that, um, uh, that was called, I believe it was Corks and Canvas, and it was a wine store up in Chicago, and they sold art and, uh, and wine. And so he said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I would uh, use Cork. You're going to have to change your name. And there also was another paint and sip that was just a, a one-off um, in Alabama, and it was called Corks and Canvas. And he said, 
um, you really need to change your name. And I, I did not, I didn't, I, I was fine. I didn't want to. Renee did not want to change the name. So um, our attorney said, look, you can keep the name, then you're going to get sued, and I'm going to make a lot of money, and you're still going to lose the name. So um, we came up, and as it turns out, we came up with Painting with a Twist, which is a little long on your email, but um, it's better because we do do a lot of kids. And we, when we do get approval through schools or Girl Scouts or something like that, it's, it's, they weren't going to approve us with a name like Corks and Canvas. It was too tied to the alcohol. So this way, um, it, was, it was much better for us. It was our own name. We never had to worry about somebody coming back and trying to, you know, sue us for using their name. And so um, that's, kind of, that's how it changed. We were also running two websites, two marketing plans, and so it was costing us money, too. And we always knew in the back of our mind that we were probably going to sell the corporate stores because it's hard to do both. And that is what wound up happening. So they, we've turned them into franchises. We sold them as franchises. So we're going to we're going to get into the franchise side, but before before we get down that path, um, tell me a little bit about Bottles and Bodega and how you and Nancy Bigley found each other. Well, um, actually, of course, I've been seeing Nancy around at, at conferences and all of that for years, and um, we had a friendly relationship. We didn't really know each other. Um, that well. And Joe, our new CEO, came up to me and said, um, what do you think about buying bottles in Bottega? And I said, I think it's a great idea, but can we get Nancy too? <laughs> because at that point, we were looking for a director of operations. And like I said, that's hard. they're hard to come by in Louisiana, and in South Louisiana. And so um, he said, I'm one, I'm one step ahead of you. I've already asked her. So um, I think Nancy was ready for a change, and, you know, the, the, um, the normal thing to do would be to approach, you know, to approach uh, the larger company of, of your type of system, and that's what she did, and I'm really glad she did. Um, and so that's kind of how we came together, and it, it seems to be working out great. That's awesome. When we come back from our break, we're going to dive into the franchise side of the business and talk a little bit about who it is you look for, who it is that should be looking for you, and what it looks like to be a franchisee in your business. We're going to do that right after our break. Okay. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsor. Franchise Today is produced and presented each week by FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM enables real-time business intelligence, communications, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team, as well as their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all communications to and from prospective and existing franchisees, including texts. Legal and compliance is simplified, too. With FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures, no long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost, no excuses, 
Just Solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. So let's talk franchising because that's what that's what we're here to talk about, right? Um, we're talking 39 states. Um, you heard me before I be brought you on today talking a little bit about area development. Do you subscribe to any of that, or is this all um, direct relationships between you and your franchisees? Yes, we just do one at a time. Now, we do have um, 40% of our system is multiple unit owners, so we, we, but we want to get to know you. We want to see if the marriage is going to work before we um, – we are a very personal um, franchise system. You know, Renee and I are very, are very personal. We, for the most part, we know about our franchises. We know about their kids. We know about their illnesses. And, um, and we just didn't feel comfortable when we started – um, because we were neophytes, you know, to take on that sort of thing. And so we didn't. And it's worked for us. The, they, the people get in there. They get to know the system. They get to know us. They get to know the culture. And then they will go ahead. And they always, they always have their eye on the, next, on the territory next to them. And so that has worked very well for us. Do you uh, award more than one ever, or do you award one and then come back for conversations later? Yeah, we only award one at a time. So what happens to somebody who's got that one territory, and like you just said, they have their eye on the next territory over? Do they get a right of first refusal, or is it just, We tried right of first refusal, and it just didn't work. It just didn't work for us. Um, You know, yeah, people, well, can you give us another few months, and can you give us, you know, this or that or the other? And it just, we were actually licensing so fast that we didn't need to do um, anything like that. You know, we did it for a little while, and and it just didn't work. People weren't ready to jump on. You know, a lot of times people don't realize what it's going to take to run a business. And right. so, it, you know, they get in there, and they come to the class, and they just fall in love. Like, literally, they are passionate. They just fall in love, and they just think it's going to be so easy. And it's a business. And when you own your own business, it's 24 hours. You know, if you're not doing it, you're thinking about it. So, um, so that's uh, you know one reason why we did. And like I said, it, the one-on worked for us. So, talk to me about a day in the life of a franchisee and share with the audience what a franchisee's profile should be. In so many cases, we talk with franchisors who, uh, you know, in the Molly made type businesses, and franchisees are not doing the cleaning. They're not doing. Right. The teaching, if it's tutoring, they're doing the business side of business. What's, what's it look like in your world? Well, you know, you come in, you check, they would check emails. They would see what kind of reservations they have for, the, um, for that night. They would check their calendar. Does a, does a piece of art it, that's not selling, does it need to be replaced? They will take care of any private party requests that they've had. They have to speak. We do that very personally, too. That's not done just online. We that the, the reservation comes in for a private party online, but then we call them and talk to them and discuss what they want and what they need from us. They'll um, do that sort of thing. Many studios have day classes, and it's, it's, it's important for the, um, the owner to be there, we always say, for the first six months or so, as much as they can, because they're building relationships with their customers. So, so they're there making sure all this is done, working on their marketing plan, the uh, – um, Home office sends out playbooks with different ideas on what to do, which type of classes to have. So they're studying that. Um, they're, uh, they're, you know, checking their uh, 
inventory levels. They're reordering. Uh, it's it's kind of like a retail store. So, uh, you know, what what we're looking for in a, is somebody that's got some community involvement that are that is um, that has some money that is not looking for this to be their primary source of income in the first you know year or so that you have to build your business. Um, we're looking for somebody with a little bit of management experience, um, and not to say these are all drop dead. But these, this is pretty much what we're uh, looking for. We're looking for people that are owner-operators, which is a different person than a semi-absentee owner-operator. You have to make sure you have a very strong manager if you're semi-absentee. And, 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 um, and, some, and customer service, that's very important, that you have some customer service. Um, and that their personality is aligned with us, a strong work ethic. Um, and are they realistic in their goals? You know, like I said, people come in and they just want the business. They just want to do this. They're looking for something new. They have a little money to invest, and this just looks like so much fun. And it is. It's one mm. of the most fun businesses you're ever going to own. But it's work, and that, you know, that's the thing that people have to understand. I mean, any I would assume any franchise owning any franchise is going to be work because it's a business. So, um, so that's pretty much what we're what we're um, what we're looking for in a franchisee. And with the experience. You talk talk a lot about culture and how do you go about, you know, acid testing that? How do you know what do you do? Do you do testing or do you do some kind of profiling or we have just started actually. We have just started that. Before we kind of went by the seat of our pants and um, just we they would come in for the day. We would do our discovery days in person. I think that's very important. We'd bring them in. We would we've I don't think well one time I think we did an off-site uh, discovery day because uh, we happened to be in the town. And but other than that, we bring them in. We let them meet um, our employees. They see our office. They see how we're how it's run. Um, and then we sit with them and walk them through an entire day of of what it's like to be a franchisee. We go to lunch with them. So you get a pretty good – they do a class that night. So we get a pretty good feel um, about who, who they are and, um, and what, what they do and what they're going to have to do, and that's always been uh, – but now that we're getting bigger, that we're, we, you know, we've gotten to a certain point, the testing, and, and we've just put in a, a new um, uh, CDO, um, Chief Development Officer, and he's Richard Lavelle, and he is um, doing testing and personality profiles, and um, you know, and things like that. That should really help. So, geographically, are you looking for franchisees in all fifty states, or are you building concentric circles around the areas that you've already got well, some we, traction? Well, we we really grew very organically. Um, so, like I was telling you, our first three—one was in Texas, one was in Florida, one was in Louisiana. And Texas and Florida is, is those are probably Texas, Florida, and Pennsylvania are our, our biggest growth areas. Um, so I think Texas and Florida are. I'm not going to say they're full, you know, but they're pretty. You know, there's a lot of of uh, pain with a twist there. We're just starting to grow on the West Coast. Uh, you know, like I said, 39 states. So there's plenty of states that haven't been touched. Most of them in the um, Northeast, where there's not a you know Idaho or where there's not a huge population. We've got a couple in Seattle. So that whole Western quarter is pretty well uh, ready for some development. The uh, Northeast, 
uh, north of New York. We're pretty good in New York. We've got a few in Massachusetts, but north of that, no, not so much. So there's, there's room in all of those places uh, to grow. And are your owners female as well, or is it just the consumer? You know, that's a good question. I'm going to say 40, 60, and a lot of uh, men to women, um, and a lot of couples do it together. That makes sense to me, actually. It makes a lot of sense to me. I'm just trying to visualize um, how that would manifest. I think you may even find women starting and their husbands actually jumping into the business with them. Well, you know, it's like men and women, for the most part, have different skill sets, maybe, or maybe it's that he's a lawyer, she's an accountant, you know, or something like that, or she wants to manage it and he's a lawyer. I don't, you know, so he'll do, he might not do the, or he wants to manage it and she's a lawyer. So, you know, they may not, um, they may not both be in the studio, but they both work with the studio. Um, we have, a, a, we have a bunch of accountants that are, um, that are, uh, franchise owners because they see that, you know, there's no spoilage. There's, you're only stocking five things. So there's no waste and, um, and it's not a real expensive franchise to get into. Uh, what about your marketing? So at the marketing for uh, the consumer side, um, I would imagine that your, your territories are pretty close to your studios or your marketing pretty close to your studios. Yeah, everybody's got a protected territory that they can um, that they can market within, and and, and then I know. Go ahead, no, please go ahead, Kathy. No, I, that they can market. I, that was it. That they can market within, and they need to stay within that territory unless they're going to team up with somebody in the next territory for a very large event. And so, except for private parties, then everybody's doing the same picture, and the artist, instructor, entertainer is instructing the entire class. Um, but I read something not too, I can't remember if it was on your website or someplace else about a, a short-term relationship with a limited time offer with the Walt Disney organization. How did yes. that look? Yes. That, um, we started that, um, gosh, about four or five years ago and it was a slow build and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of regulations in dealing with a company of that size. Sure. And, so, but we just started really slow with them, and now we're doing, I believe, around four events. They call up. They're reissuing a uh, a film. They'll call us to, you know, to uh, to create a painting. Now that painting cannot stay in our library. That painting is only created for this event, and then we can um, then we can, but we can market it. And and there's certain things. It's interesting on, from a copyright standpoint because. There's certain things you can and can't put in that painting. Like sometimes you can just do the silhouette of, of the character, or sometimes you know they don't want want the full face of the character. So, right. uh, but we have a, a very good relationship um, with Disney at this point, which is very exciting. I'll I'll get us I'll guess so. Um, <laughs> what do you see, Kathy, on the horizon? You know, franchising has been going through some tumultuous times with regulation and with legislation and with minimum wage and all these problems that are associated with small business people trying to run a business. What do you see on the horizon? How do your franchisees deal with all those things locally? Well, you know, it hasn't touched us um, 
directly. I mean, things keep kind of getting put off, and um, and it hasn't really affected us yet. Um, yet. So, you know, we just – I know my franchises, you know, there's always drama. There's always issues. And they said, you know what, we've just got our nose to the grindstone, making our business work. We'll deal with that. Like you're saying, live in the moment. <laughs> we'll deal with that when, you know, when and if it, ha- if it happens. Do you guys have any kind of an advisory council, franchisees? Yes. We have an, a very strong FAC. Uh, they are very involved. They, um, you know, they come um, down a couple of times a year. They do phone calls. You know, we just had a big management hire shift, and they're, um, I think they're talking once a week now just so that the new team can get up to, uh, up, up to snuff on the history and all of that sort of thing. We have some very strong uh, FAC members. So, Kathy, if you're going to rub the genie out of the lamp and look uh-huh. ahead and say, what's next for Kathy Dino, where do, you, where do you go next? Do you think about something that would further develop the existing brand or maybe a bolt-on or something that would be complementary to it? You know, um, I don't see myself um, doing anything different than Painting with a Twist. Um, but like I said, we've put in a whole new C-level um, group of people, so I'm not involved in the day-to-day business decisions anymore, which is great. I feel that I'm a founder and an ambassador and a keeper of the culture, which I think is what I'm best at. So mm-hmm. I love visiting the franchisees. They love seeing me. I like going to the conferences and keeping up with the, the people I've met and the friends I've met and learning a little bit more about franchising, keeping my CFE up. I like doing all of that. But I also like knowing that I have these this team of people who know so much more than I did, making my company grow and grow in the right way and putting the correct system in. I mean, it, you know, I think Renee and I did a fabulous job building a company and, and, and placing the culture in the right place. Now, somebody else needs to come in with the, uh, with the business acumen and keeping that culture in mind. I mean, I, I'm the keeper of the culture. I'm on them all the time about it. Um, but they need to take it uh, to the, as they say, the next level, um, with keeping the fact that Renee and I are the, the keepers of the culture. And I think that that's the most important thing. I think that's what people buy. The people we want buy the culture. They don't. Oh, if you walk in and say, "How much money can I make immediately?" No. It's it's, right. it's that we love this and we want to do this, and you know, and and they have the passion. That's a tough thing that you've done because a lot of founders can't get to that place where they actually they'll talk about uh, take stepping out and bringing professional management in. And some of them actually go so far as to do it and then yeah. find themselves just unable to let go. <laughs> right. Was that any kind of a challenge for Renee and you, or did it just come easy? You know, it, it hasn't been because as I, the more I look at it, it's been almost a year, I guess, the more I look at it and the more I see what they bring to the table, the more I realize what a good thing it is for me, my franchisees, my home office. Um, you know, they just have so much, many years of experience behind them. I mean, Joe Lewis, our CEO, has been doing this for almost 30 years. Nancy Dickley has been doing it for, you know, for almost 30 years. Um, so uh, Richard Lavelle, same thing. So they're, they're bringing uh, expertise to the table for us that 
that, that we didn't have, quite frankly. But I also think that nobody could have built a culture like Renee and I built. And I think that for our system, of course, people can build there, but for our system. So I think the, the, the team effort of them and us in the right position is golden. Well, I think if there's anything that the audience takes out of today's conversation, um, it's that nugget that you just planted right there because I think that founders bring some dimension to a business that only they can bring. Right. But we all, but we all strive to reach our own level of incompetency. At some point, somebody else is going to come in and do better than we did. Right. Um, what do you do with your franchise visits? How do those look? You, you're visiting franchisees how often? Well, I just counted it up. I've seen um, I, I, 30 studios, but that's maybe 20 people because it's uh, this last year because it's multiple. Right. Multiple. And we go to dinner. I'll go look at their, you know, they always want you to see their studio. I'll see their studio. I have, um, um, I call them the Trinity Girls. I don't know if they like being called that. But they have three studios in Florida. We go do an activity. We went and blew glass. I made a martini glass the last time um, we were there. So for me, it's, it's not about telling them, oh, your studio's dirty or, oh, you know, you don't have enough classes on. That's, that's, that's their operations person. For me, I'm an ambassador. For me, I'm coming with the feel good. This looks great. Um, if they want my advice on something, I'll give it to them, but let's not get bogged down, you know, in, um, in the business aspect of it. Call operations and, you know, for that because they have all the newest and the greatest and the best and all the uh, information that's being generated out, out of the home office. For me, it's just they just want to feel that, you know, they bought into Renee and I. So they bought into our dream, and I don't want to leave them out there feeling like that, you know, that we abandoned them. So I, it's really more of just a touch, a um, couple of vodkas, you know, a little fun, and, um, and that's what I feel my job is now. And I actually love that job. <laughs> I don't imagine anybody would have a hard time saying the same, right? <laughs> so... Um, so that's, you know, I see great things for the company. I really do. I think this uh, C team we've put in is phenomenal. We were so lucky being in South Louisiana to be able to put them together. And I just think it's another blessing that we've been given. Um, and this whole journey has really just been one blessing after another. So. Well, and that's what, that's what I take away from this conversation is it is a journey. And, um, and you've, you know, you've morphed through the journey and transitioned yourself as your franchisees are transitioning, as your brand is transitioning. And that's really the magic, I think, of your success. That's the key to your success is, you know, you can't do what you did the same way you used to do it and expect right. results to be any better than they ever were. So exactly. I, I salute you for that, Kathy. Thank if, you. Um, before I ask you to tell the audience how they can find you if they were uh, wanting to get in touch with you or visit you at an upcoming expo or a show, I always like to end the interview asking my guests if there were any questions that you wished I asked but didn't. Me? Um, yeah. Yes. I wish you had asked me about our nonprofit because um, I feel that it's, it's an important part of our, our system, and I always tell because I do get phone calls from people who want to franchise, who want to start franchise systems, and I always tell them to build build in a give back 
because people want to be part of that, whether it's your customer or your franchisee. And we've got many franchisees because of our give back program. So we have a 501c3 called Painting with a Purpose, and it is um, it, it's a nonprofit where the franchise uh, where we do some events, the money goes into that nonprofit, and then artists within our system can um, apply for grants for um, sick children, uh, medical bills that haven't been covered, storms. Mm. We've done a lot, unfortunately, with storms in Houston and Florida um, and that sort of thing. And we also, before we even started the, the 501c3 painting with a purpose, we had built in the uh, class that every um, studio can do one class a month for a nonprofit. It has to be a 501c3, and we do not take royalties on that class. And that is our way of giving back to their community. So um, we've raised over well over four million dollars for um, for nonprofits in the areas where we have franchises. So for me, I'm, yeah, I'm very proud of that. And I think that anybody well you should be. That, starts, um, that starts a franchise system should figure out how to do a give back. People want to patronize businesses that give back to their community. The old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. Exactly. So, uh, so that, how, I think you covered everything. Well, I'm glad you caught me there and, and brought that back around and didn't let me get away with that because I should have had that <laughs> on the top of my plate too and I didn't. So tell the audience how they can find you. How, how can those interested in learning more get in touch with you and talk about either franchise opportunities or just franchising in general or painting with a twist in general? Well, if people are looking um, for, for a franchise, they should contact the home office and, um, and Richard Lavelle at the home office in Mandeville, Louisiana. If they just want to talk to me about opening, um, about franchising, I'm perfectly willing to talk to anybody. That's another role I've taken on. You know, so many people help me. Uh, in the beginning, that I'm happy to talk to anybody, and they can do that at Kathy with a C, Y, and then ends in a Y, C A T H Y, at paintingwithatwist.com. Awesome. Kathy, I can't thank you enough for carving out some time today and, and spending time with our audience and on so many different fronts. You, um, your passion for your business and your passion for what you do and your passion for people is just so self evident. And I think second to money, I've always said that if you're going to get into franchising, you need money to make money. But right. the second most important thing you bring is passion. And clearly, you're, 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 you're in abundance in that department. So okay. thank you for sharing with our audience today. And I look forward to seeing you out on the franchise trail. Okay. Thank you. Have a great day. You do the same. Hey, Ryan, are you in there? I'm here. Excellent, excellent interview, Stan. Excellent interview. That was really good. Kathy's. She busted me, though, man. She busted me. I forgot to talk about the nonprofit. (laughs) Yeah, but what a what an awesome program. She said they've they've raised over four million dollars painting with a purpose. That's that's a really good program. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is a. I think every time if we were to just go over the entire catalog of interviews over the years that Paul and I did together, and Paul before me, um, and since then, me and now you, um, I think that the one common denominator that's found in every one of these interviews is the high level of passion, commitment, purpose, 
Um, every one of these these sweet executives in the franchising world is like a general in the army. Uh, they know where they're going. They know how they're going to get there, and they're inviting people, hopefully the right people, to hitch their wagons to their engines and go along for the ride. Um, she's so inspiring in so many ways. Um, I'm really, really sorry that I didn't know sooner as much as I know about her now. Yeah, another thing that struck me, Stan, is is as you listen to Kathy tell her story, you notice there were four or five hook points early on from folks in franchising that donated, not donated time, but gave their time. And a lot of that was also Kathy and Renee and team being active in on what you call the franchise trail. So like yep. early on in her early on in her story, that, that was definitely a common thread. And it also takes her to reach out, takes them to reach out, you know, to the Ballard brothers and just what a good story. Melanie Bergeron. What a great, what a yeah. fun, what a fun brand. But that's, that's what franchising is all about. When those who get into it for the right reason or those who get into it and understand where they are, they understand that this is about we, it's always the we and the interdep- interdependency. Um, and, you know, you go to a chamber of commerce meeting, you'll never see members at a chamber meeting being as giving and caring and sharing as they will at an IFA event because you're their local competitor. You're there in, in their marketplace. They're not going to let you hit them with your, their own sticks. But when you go to a convention like IFA and work across brands and across the country and even around the world, it's an amazing thing to see how people come together and help those who have come up later um, just like Kathy did today. There are people listening to this podcast today that are going to take some of what she's shared today and avoid a mistake or maybe do something that they might, might not have contemplated doing like the 501c3. So can't thank Kathy enough and all of our guests on Franchise today for sharing and caring the way they do. Ryan, that'll do it for today. We're back again next week, Wednesday at noon Eastern. And until then, this is Stan Friedman. Wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solution, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.